0: A lot of people think that what, what the verse says that's been quoted misquoted for years and years is that, the, that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says, that the, the verse that they're misquoting is, that for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that, that having money is wrong. In fact, many people in the Bible were extremely wealthy. Abraham, who's considered the father of, of the, the Jewish nation of Israel, was probably, um, he would be a multimillionaire in our day. Um, you've got all kinds of folks that had a lot of money. Um, David, King David and King Solomon, they were both uh, kings. Solomon was David's son, and David was probably the most beloved king of the, the Jewish nation. They were the richest men of their times. In fact, Solomon had so much money that people would travel from all around the known world just to get a glimpse of his money and to hear his wisdom. And And the Queen of Sheba actually said... It it was not told to me the half of how uh wise you are and, and your possessions, you just incredible amount. So they were the wealthiest men of their times. Joseph of Arimathea, he's the guy who actually gave Jesus his uh tomb to be buried in. He was a very wealthy guy. So the Bible is not against wealth, the Bible teaches against the misuse of of wealth. And so we're going to look at some things today. James, we're continuing our study in James. James is kind of like the wisdom book of the New Testament, like Proverbs is the wisdom book of the Old Testament. And we've learned all kinds of cool stuff from James in this series. We've learned how to treat people right, whether we do it or not, we at least know that. We've we've learned how to avoid arguments. We've learned that we're not supposed to, to play favorites with other people. We've learned all kinds of cool stuff. Well, today, what we want to do is learn how to be wise with our wealth. And James mentions four things that you should not do with money, four prohibitions. He's very much against misusing money, and let's look at those. Starting uh, with number one, <laughs> that's a good place to start. Don't hoard it. Don't hoard it. Talking about money, H-O-A-R-D, in case some of you misunderstood me. James 5, 1-3 says, Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because all of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver uh, have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh in hell. He's pretty harsh here. These are probably the most negative words in the whole New Testament. He talks about the misuse of money. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. So here's the issue. God says he's not against saving. Um, if, if you come to Financial Peace University, you'll understand, and, and we've taught here, that God is very much for saving. What God is talking about is hoarding money that you don't need, stockpiling it just for the, the sake of having this huge pile of money and putting your faith in money and not in God. And in fact, we'll talk just a minute about what the Bible says. You are supposed to save, but he says not to hoard it. Um, God says that, that He wants His money in circulation so that it helps other people. Now, in the New Testament times, there was one of three ways that you could hoard money, and He mentions all three of these in the verse. You could stockpile food, you could collect clothes, and you could gather precious metals and jewels. That's the way wealthy people would show off to others how much money they had. They would have all of this food. They would have incredible parties with so much food that they would be throwing it away. They would wear all of their really nice clothes, because if you ever hear of somebody who wears purple um Clothing in, in the New Testament, purple was a symbol that you had a lot of money. So if you were wearing a purple robe or a purple coat, that meant you were very wealthy. And then we talked about a few weeks ago not playing favorites. And we said that in the book of James, um, if if a poor man comes in and a rich man comes in, and we talked about that, that the literal term there in James uh, chapter 2 was that if a rich man, Goldfinger, were to walk in, he has so much jewelry on his hands that he was nicknamed Goldfinger. That's what we're talking about, having all of this stuff and all, the only reason you have stuff is to show it off. And, you know, even if you're not, even if you're not a spiritual person, if you're, if you're not a Christ follower and, and you hate the church thing, welcome. This is the church for you. We, we are the church for people who hate church. We do goofy things just for you. So, um, feel welcome and, and you don't have to tell anybody that you hate church, but if you're here, great. We're glad you're here. So, um, even if you're not a spiritual person, this makes sense. Cause think about this. What are the types of things that you hoard? And James says everything you hoard deteriorates. Whatever you accumulate deteriorates. So think about this. The, the, the clothes that are moth eaten, are they the clothes that you wear all the time or the ones in the back of the closet? Back of the closet. Okay. You're awake. I'm checking. The food that, that, uh, that decays and rots, is that the food that you eat on a regular basis or is that the food that's in the back of the refrigerator for three months? We grow new life forms in our refrigerator because we've had too much food and we waste that stuff. That's what he's talking about is all of this junk that's in the back of the refrigerator. The purpose of wealth, God says, is not to be hoarded. Yes, you save some for, for the, the rainy days, but he wants his money in circulation. Last week we talked about a man in Luke chapter 12 who was very successful. He was so successful that he said, look at all my crops. My barns will not handle my crops. I know what I'll do tonight. I'll I'll tear down all of these barns and I'll build new ones. And then I'll have so much, all I can do is sit back and relax. You remember what what God said? What happened to him? Because that very night God says, you fool, you're going to die tonight. Who's going to keep all of the stuff that you have? So what, what the Bible is saying is... Um, Keep your stuff in circulation. Don't be like the dumb guy who thought that he was smart, who hoarded all of his wealth, and then he died, and, and other people got to use all the stuff that he uh, accumulated. Now, James moves on to a second issue. Not only are we not supposed to hoard it, but God is concerned with how we get our money. And here's the second thing. He says, don't steal it. And some of you are going, ah, I don't steal don't say that yet. James chapter five verse four. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay, the wages you held back. Cry out against you. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now again, think back to New Testament times. If if you've ever been down um, to uh, I guess it's Spring Street. If you've been down there by the railroad and and tried to hire daily workers, this was the situation in all of the New Testament. Alright, so you would have some folks down there who would just be standing around at the town square. The, the wealthy landowners would come and they would hire them for the day. And, and abuse and misuse of money was rampant in this time because the guy could hire you and he'd say, okay, I'm going to pay you this wage. You go, you work all day and then the guy says, I don't like your work. And he would send you home. You had no recourse against this rich landowner. He not only kept your money, but he got your work for the day. And this is the stuff that James is criticizing, is abusing people with money, stealing things from people that that uh, that you that legitimately you owe money to. And so there are a lot of different ways we can steal money. Somebody's saying, oh, well, I've never done that. I've never stolen money that way. Well, don't use dishonest means to rip people off. One way is not paying your debts. If you charge something on a credit card, guess who's responsible for that? You are, not the government, not your church, not your family. You are responsible for that. And, and that is ripping people off if you don't pay back what you have charged. If I charge too much, if I sell a used car and I don't tell you about major repairs that that thing needs, then I am ripping you off. I'm stealing from you. If I cheat on taxes, oh, don't say that. If I cheat on taxes, I'm ripping off the federal government. If I waste time and I'm being paid for that time that I'm wasting, I am stealing from my employer. There's lots of different ways to steal, and God says He is very much against stealing from others. There's a third thing He says about money. He says, don't waste it. Your life here on earth has been full of luxury and pleasure. You have made yourselves fat for the day of slaughter. Now, I'm not about to tell you that you should not have nice things, but I'm going to tell you that the Bible says if you can pay cash for something and it doesn't hurt your family's future, then by all means do that. But don't go do it on credit. The Bible is against using too much on credit. And we're coming to Christmas, you know, one of the most um, commercialized times of the year. It's supposed to be a holy day, but, but, uh, cons- uh, but the stores have tried the retailers have tried to figure out earlier and earlier how to get us to spend our money. Have you noticed that? And Now, Walmart is a staple in our economy, but dead gum they start early. They'll put stuff out. And, and by the way, if you want Christmas presents, you need to go get them because they'll also, they change seasons way before the end of a season. If you're a hunter, you know this. You know, deer season really is just getting rolling and all of the hunting stuff is gone. And they won't restock it till next year. Anyway, I'll get off of Walmart. But you understand what I'm saying? They try to plan how you will spend your money. Have you ever seen the Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog, y'all ever seen that? It makes the news every year. Needless markup is what we always call it. But Neiman Marcus, let me tell you some things that you could purchase this year from the Neiman Marcus catalog. First slide, if you put that up there. You got that, Daniel? Now, what does that look like to you? An end zone. You win the prize. You could purchase the entire end zone from Texas Stadium. Alright, and they will come and put it in your backyard. Let me read this. To honor battles won and heroes lost over 38 glorious years, you can put 530 square yards of sporting history into your own backyard. An entire Cowboys Texas Stadium end zone. Our exclusive package also includes VIP treatment for the last regular season Cowboys game in Texas Stadium. Your crew gets a pregame photo, gets pregame photos in your end zone with Jerry Jones, a luxury suite for the game, and a once in a lifetime postgame tailgate party on your soon to be new backyard. Complete with Cowboys cheerleaders, of course. That's really in here. Um, there's also autograph memorabilia, all this stuff. And and you'll get to go to the first game in the new stadium. And Jerry Jones, out of the generosity of his heart, will donate all of your $500,000 to the Salvation Army. That's not wasteful. Oh, I like this next one. I found this next one. I, I actually kind of would like one of these. This is called an M envelope. M as in mom. Pretty cool looking thing. Listen to the description. Uh, what if you could rebuild, rearrange, and reassemble your garden retreat as quickly as you rearrange furniture? Step inside our envelope and you can. It is a massively cool 15 foot by high by 14 foot wide by 17 foot deep creation of functional art built with a steel frame. All its hinged wood panel frames open, move, and close at your whim. Show the next picture. You got the next one? There we go. That looks like an outhouse. Or it looks like, looks like the old time rest stops on Texas highways as you go way out in West Texas by El Paso. It's vented. I, I'm not sure. Did you slam that door, Alex? I saw that was open earlier. Just push it out and put it back. Oh, and this—this this is one of only ten of such structures created by some dude. I don't know his name. An internationally famous architectural pioneer slash artist. Ten of them. You know how much? Hundred thousand dollars. Or okay, here's one. Here's one. I love this description. You can go ahead and pop that one up there, Danielle. In this age of, listen to this, in this age of soulless downloads, an MP3 mumbo jumbo, this was somebody who doesn't have an MP3 player or has never downloaded anything, we gleefully turn to that transcended, or treasured, I'm sorry, I can't read, icon of our American pop culture childhood. <laughs> Most of y'all, y'all don't remember these. I do, so I'm showing my age. The 45 RPM single. It can, now, this collection, this collection contains every 45 RPM record record that was listed by the Billboard Top 100 rock and pop charts from January 1st, 1955 through December 31st, 1990. Every single one that was on the Top 100. Some are even autographed. 18,400 records total. There are literally hundreds of extremely collectible 45s. Elvis, Joplin, Hendrix, you name it. I thought this was funny. And the collection is entire, in its entirety, is priceless. However, there is a price tag. $275,000. You too could have this priceless collection. There's the Jack Nicholas Custom Backyard Course Package, beginning at $1 million. I'm sure it depends on your layout in your backyard. Harlem Globetrotters on court Experience, $110,000. And if you have too much time on your hands, you can go online and you can go to Needless Markup and you can look at their Christmas catalog. And if you want to see these, it's in the wow gifts. There's, there, there's the whole Christmas catalog, but this is in the wow gifts. And there's some really incredible stuff if you have too much money to spend this Christmas. So don't waste it. That's the point there. Number four is don't abuse it. Now, he's not talking about beating up money. He's talking about using money to beat up others, to beat up poor and helpless people. Um, James 5, 6 says, You have condemned and killed good people who had no power to defend themselves against you. In James's time, what would happen is if a worker decided he was going to go to court against a rich person, the rich person would arrive at court early, talk to the judge, slip him a few bills, and guess who gets the judgment? The rich guy. Doesn't happen in our day, but there's a lot of ways to manipulate others. Now, I have family members that this is true of, and I've heard of others that sometimes the, uh, the patriarch or matriarch of your family will control other people in the family by the will. Ever been written out of a will? I have several times. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, but I know of family members that would say that's the whole way they would control and manipulate people is you're not getting any of this stuff. Um, there are, there are lots of ways that we can do this. Let's see. Ah, oh, our kids. You ever tried to bribe your kid with a toy? Now, if you're nice, if you will not share bodily functions at this gathering, I'll buy you a toy. You better act right or I'm not giving you your allowance, and we control and manipulate people with money. And there used to be towns around the country. These don't exist anymore, but there used to be company towns, company-owned and controlled towns, where they would get their employees so far into debt That they couldn't leave the town if they wanted to. That's the wrong use. That's an abuse of money. And the consequences of misused or abused money, hoarded wealth, hoarded wealth is going to decay. But if you misuse or you steal or you abuse the, the, the money and waste it, the Bible says right here in James that you will be judged when you stand before God. So those are the ways to misuse wealth. What's the proper use of wealth? Well, when it comes to money, the Bible has some very specific things to say about that too. First thing is save consistently. Proverbs 21.20. So we're going to look at a lot of these wisdom things from the Old Testament. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now I was doing some research this week and, and I was looking at Americans' savings rate. If you were just to guess how much Americans on average save, do you know how much they do? Give me a percentage. 1%, 2%. Y'all are very generous. For the first time in history, point to something that's closer. First time in history, Americans have a negative savings rate. And the inquiring minds say, how do you get a negative savings rate? You spend more than you earn. And you do it consistently. First time in history. Europeans, on the other hand, they average saving 14% of their income. Go to the Japanese, they save 27% of their income. It doesn't take a real bright person to realize, who's going to control the world in just a few years? be Americans, because we don't have any money. And, and the problem is we're the now generation. I want it right now. I remember when I was first out of college and I had nothing in my apartment and I got my first credit card... And I bought my TV and I used the box as the TV stand. But soon that wasn't enough and I could, I could afford minimum payments. And so then I got the TV stand and I had, I slept on the floor. I really had the little foam mattress and before long I needed a mattress and I needed a couch and, and I, I outfitted my whole first apartment on credit cards and it took me years to pay that off because I was an idiot. I had a way negative savings rate. I had a decent job, but it didn't keep up with my spending. Bible says save consistently. And in order to do that, you're going to have to budget. And in order to, to live on less than you earn, you're going to have to cut up credit cards. Do you realize that's what this is? This is from our folks who've been doing Financial Peace University. There's about, let's see, there's there our first Sunday there were about 52 here, so 26 households represented. That's a whole lot of plastic for 26 households. And we would have celebrations. I keep the scissors up here because week in and week out, one of the things we do is we say, anybody got any credit cards that they want to cut up? And some of them took the whole time cutting up their credit cards because their stacks were really, really high. But if you want to live on less than you make, you've got to get rid of the plastic. And really the simplest plan out there is the 10-10-80 plan. That means the first 10% you save, the second 10% you give, and then you live on 80% and an amazing thing happens. You start building for the future, and you're able to give. A lot of you want to give. You would love to give, but one thing is you don't plan. You don't plan how you're going to spend your money, so you never know where it goes. And then you come to Christmas, it's as if you didn't know Christmas was coming. It happens every year. Start back in January, put a few dollars back, and, and magically, when Christmas happens, you can pay cash for it. We've been saving for years for several things. We're going to Disney World in February. We've been saving for over two years, putting everything we could back so that that vacation doesn't come back with us. Nothing will be on credit cards when we go. Everything is going to be in cash. Our kids have been saving for months. Their own spending money because we're like, you're on your own for spending money. We'll pay for the trip, but you're on your own. Every dime that comes in, Hannah's digging in the couch and she's sweeping off stuff. Every dime so that they'll have something to spend. We don't want to bring that vacation back with us, but you've got to learn to live on less than you make. So save consistently. The next thing is about money is make it honestly. Make it honestly. And by the way, if you ever want to add to this jar, we'd love for you to. I'll even stop in the middle of church if you want to come up here. People will cheer for you. Some people will think you're nuts. That's okay. Those that have been through financial peace, we'll be graduating in a couple of months from Financial Peace University. We'll cheer. We'll have a good time cheering for you. Make it honestly. Proverbs thirteen eleven. Wealth from gambling dis- uh, quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. Gambling is a get-rich-quick scheme, and the Bible is always talking about don't get involved in get-rich-quick screen- screams schemes. Yeah, I say that several times. The reason is money that's too easy to get in disappears very, very quickly, and gambling is part of that. You make it quick, you'll lose it quick. Proverbs 14.23 says, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I don't think it's a bad thing that my kids have to work for their money. I want to teach them that, that it does not grow on trees. We talk all the time about it's not in the spending plan. If you want it, pay for it yourself. How do you make money? You work. You get off your backside and do something and you'll earn money. I think that the Bible teaches that you should work for your money. In fact, it says in the New Testament that if a man will not work, don't let him eat. You know what that means is if you're able to work, I'm not talking about disabled people, but if you're able to work and you don't, the Bible says that the church is not responsible to take care of you. All the time I get calls, the the church phone rings at home because there's not even one in existence here. We'll eventually get a line run and it'll ring here. But the church phone rings at home and we all the time get calls. and, And, you know... I try to discern if it's a legitimate call or not. And the way we do that is we make phone calls and we try to figure out if people really need help. But a lot of times folks are just in the back of the phone book and they're going down calling every church trying to get some help with different things. And what I'll do a lot of times is I'll send them to the different charities around town. I've had people come up here and, and this, again, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but a lot of times folks who know how to work the system, they'll wait until right before church on a Sunday morning. They'll come in and say, i got I got to see the pastor. And they'll want money because they realize the pastor's um, about to go up and preach. And so he'll just give them money to get them off of the, the property. I've had folks come up before weddings. I've had folks come up before youth stuff trying to get money. And and so there's a really cool thing around here. The uh, Salvation Army and the police department have, have this system where if you go down to the police department, they'll actually provide you a room and it's not in the police department. That's a cool thing. Sometimes I tell them that, sometimes I don't. Because I'm just trying to see if they're if they're legit or not. If they'll go to the police department, they can get a motel room paid for free. And you find out real quickly if somebody is really in need or not. Police department. I'm not going there. Well, they're not going to put you in jail unless you've done something wrong. They're going to give you a hotel room. And, but I've also seen people go down there. I've taken people down to the police department. You find out they can work or not or if they really need the help. So make it honestly is what the Bible says. God approves his work as a means to wealth. Well, a lot of times you get the question, how much can I make? You can make as much money as you want to make as long as it doesn't hurt four areas. And these are listed on your listening guide. As long as it doesn't hurt your health. Scripture teaches that health must always take priority over wealth. Look at Proverbs 23, 4. Do not wear yourself out getting rich. Be smart enough to stop. Don't wear yourselves out trying to afford things that you don't need and you really don't want. Health must take a priority over wealth. Second thing is I can make as much money as I want as long as it doesn't negatively affect my family. How many homes do you know of where the parents are working themselves to death to buy things their kids don't want and their family falls apart? What I've discovered is my kids want me more than they want toys. We have this game. Caleb and I have been playing a lot of catch lately. We have this neat little football and it whistles. It's a Nerf ball and we play catch. Well, I told you Hannah's my little entrepreneur, but Rachel's got in on this as well. By the way, they get a buck every time I mention them in service. So they're like and if they serve, they want to get the C D, because if they listen to the C D of the service and they hear their names, they get a buck that way as well. So anyway, I'm not gonna mention their names again because they already have a buck. But Hannah, you know, she was she came comes out, she's she's back there. They'll tell her, but she has to listen to the C D. So anyway, she's she's in this little wheelchair that we were given years ago and it's a toy now. And she's running back and forth, and, and she thought her brother was trying to hit her on purpose. I said, if your brother hits you on purpose, you can kick him. hi Which, so, then she's like, hey, hit me, you know. And uh, so I said, well, if I hit you, I'll give you a dollar. And so, boy, she's been diving in front of my throws, and she'll go stick legs out and arms up and stuff like that, because she wants money for, for Disney World. Um, but the point is, even even if we weren't doing this for money or kicks of their brother, they all just like hanging out. We like to play together. We like to do stuff together. That's more valuable than the money. They just want to hang out with us. Don't waste your family trying to get money. You can make as much money as you want as long as it doesn't hurt other people. That's number three. That's the stealing factor. God demands we make money honestly and fairly. Proverbs twenty-one-six says, Cheating to get rich is a foolish dream and no less than suicide. There's another, another translation that says cheating to get rich brings you money and a curse. You will reap what you sow, and even if you don't in this world, when you stand before God, you will reap what you sow, and you will pay for stealing from people. Number four, I can make as much money as I want to as long as it doesn't hurt my spiritual life. My spiritual life. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 says... Um, Actually, I think I wrote that wrong. It's not chapter 1. There's only one chapter in 3 John. 3 John 2, verse 2, says, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Here's what John is saying. He's saying, I pray that you'll be just as healthy physically as you are spiritually. Now, let's think about this for a minute. If my income matched or my planning, my scheming for income, matched my planning and my scheming for my spiritual life, so if my income and my spiritual life are the same, or my thoughts about income and my thoughts about spiritual life are the same, would I be a millionaire? Or would I be a homeless person? I don't know. Or would you be somewhere in between? There's gotta be a balance. So if all you're thinking about is money, you're, you're, you're gonna neglect your family. If all you're thinking about is relationships, you might neglect some other things. The Bible says there needs to be balance. So don't go crazy in any one area. Just be balanced. Now, the third thing is, when it comes to money, we're supposed to save it consistently, supposed to spend it wisely, is the third one. Isn't it funny that, you know, we spend 16 years in school, and, and we try to figure out how to make as much money as we can, but nobody ever tells us how to spend it wisely. We, we're not taught very often how to budget or create a spending plan. What we hear is, six months, same as cash! Is that really true? If you read the fine print and you miss that that six months to the day, interest accrues for that whole six months, and it's a boatload of interest. You You mess up by one day, you'll pay a ton. It's not the same as cash. 162 easy payments. I have never had an easy payment. I don't believe it exists. The number one reason we have financial pressure in our families is not because we make too little, It's because we spend too much. Let me show you something. Let me demonstrate this. Think about the last two or three raises you've gotten. Somebody say, what's that? What happens is, as our money increases, our lifestyle increases. Rarely do you see somebody say, oh, well, I've got this raise. I'm going to increase the amount I save. No. That means I can get Super Dish Network. Really. That means I can eat out... 50 times instead of 40 this month. Sweet. I can up my minimum payment per month on my credit card that I shouldn't even have. It increases. That's If you don't know where your last raise went, it's because your lifestyle expanded to meet. And, and, and the smart thing is we cut back on lifestyle. The issue is never how much money you make. The issue is always how much money you spend. Let me show you what we've been learning in Financial Peace University. Dave has been teaching through what we call the baby steps. And uh, everybody in our group, all of the folks that are continuing, because some folks start and and stop, but everybody that's continuing, um, I believe we're almost 100% on this. I would have to check the numbers for sure. But the first baby step is an emergency fund. It's a thousand bucks in an emergency fund. No matter where you are in your financial plan, Dave says the first thing you need is a thousand bucks in your emergency fund. Why is that? Because emergencies happen. Right? We act like our cars are going to drive forever, our refrigerator's going to run forever. We hope, really, and then when it breaks down, oh my goodness! Well, you knew it was going to happen. There's a life expectancy, and it's not 17 or 19 years like I've gotten out of my washer and dryer. My dryer's still going. It's on 20 years. It's going to die someday, and so you have an emergency fund. If you have a thousand bucks, you start off with that. Baby step number two is called a debt snowball, and, and if, if any of you are interested in taking financial peace next year, we're going to do this again. And here's the interesting thing. A lot of people, um, I, I surveyed the crowd last week, and I said, how many of you, when I first mentioned financial peace, you said that 93 bucks for the membership kit was way too much? And I think about half of us raised our hands and said, that was way too much. I can't do that. Here's the interesting thing. I'll just use Janie and me as an example. We've been doing financial peace for three months. In that three months, we've paid off a thousand dollars in debt and we have saved over six hundred bucks. Now, do you think it's worth it to invest $93 just to do that? we got people... Now, the national average is you is you pay off 5700 and save 2700 We have people in our financial peace group who have done that. People, regular folks that you're bumping arms into week in and week out, they've already done that. We've had people pay off their houses. But if you look at this, you do the debt snowball, you get out of debt as quickly as possible. The average um, family will get out of debt, and it doesn't matter how much you have. The average is 18 to 24 months you will be out of debt. So Janie and I got to concentrating on we need to pay off our driveway and a truck that I no longer have. When we started this church, things were kind of tight, so we didn't make payments to my parents for my truck. We're paying that off. We'll be done in two years, and we'll have a big chunk of change that we can apply to other things like some braces. We get one out of braces, then the next one goes into braces. But at least we'll have the money there. We don't have to go in debt for that. And then in six years, we'll have our house paid off at 50. Had I done this stuff I should have when we started out getting married, we would have paid it off four years ago. I'm going, oh, wow, I could use that extra change four years ago. But we didn't continue doing the plan. So the debt snowball is you concentrate everything you can to get out of debt. Most of our folks will be completely debt-free, except for their homes, in less than two years. The next thing is a fully funded emergency fund. That's three to six months of living expenses. You calculate, it's going to be different for everybody. You calculate what you need to live and you get three to six months of that. Let me ask those of you who are in financial difficulty right now. If you had three to six months of living expenses set aside, would you feel any financial pressure? No. It's because it's moving you back from the ledge. You've got room for error, margin for error. Next thing is retirement, then college fund, paid off mortgage, and down at the bottom, build wealth and give. I'm going to ask our folks last week, I said, was the $93 worth it? Three months in, do any of you regret coming? They said, no, it's totally worth it. We would recommend anybody go through Financial Peace University. The way you get Financial Peace is be smarter than you've been before with your money. And one of the smartest things you can do is go through Financial Peace. We we hope to offer it at least once a year as long as, as we've got folks who are interested in going through or have pressure. So that's to spend it wisely is number three. Number four is give generously. This is what the Bible expects from you. Give generously. And by the way, in, in Dave Ramsey's program, the first thing you do, every church that's ever done Financial Peace University, the giving goes up because one of the first things he teaches is when you budget at the very top, the very first line is give 10%. If if folks in, in every church I've ever been in, if folks there would have tied, just the folks that are members would tithe, no church around would ever have financial difficulty. And that's what the Bible teaches. And then the second thing is he, he teaches you all these other stuff. But the last thing that we're looking at that the Bible teaches about money is to give generously. Some of you can't give because you are bound up, literally, you're handcuffed to debt. And so no matter how generous your heart is, you don't have any money to give. Man, we could be so much smarter. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous prosper and are satisfied. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When generosity is a quality of your life, God recognizes that He can trust you. God doesn't pour out His blessings on just anybody. He looks for obedient, humble people. When they're obedient and humble, God has promised He'll get involved in your finances. And see, one of my favorite verses I quoted a couple weeks ago is is Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God's got all the money He needs. He doesn't need your money. What God wants is your heart. And if you're not willing to give, all the time I have people say, oh, you, you don't understand my situation. I'm like, dude, I've been in every situation financially. I understand. Would you know how much that would be? I'm, I'm pretty good at math. I know how much 10% is. You, you just move it over one decimal place. I, I'm pretty good with that. You don't un- Yes, I do. I understand because I've consistently, we've consistently written those checks. And, and Janie, I, I told you a few years ago when we started the church, there was one Sunday where we did not have enough money in the bank to cover our tithe check. And Janie didn't tell me this, but she thought about not writing the check. I'm like, I could never, ever again preach on this with integrity if you had not written that check. How could you not write the check? We went to see some friends, and while we were there, they said, you know, God has blessed us. We're going to give you some money, and and we almost bawled because it was more than enough to cover the tithe check. It was enough to get us through, and, and just stuff happened what this what this says is when you are generous to others god will be generous to you if you refresh others others will refresh you and and some of you haven't heard this when we started church church couldn't afford to pay us there were times maybe we would get $1000 per month but sometimes we didn't get jack we we would get our offering basket back there and there would be cards to gift cards to walmart for for Doug and Jane we'd come home and there'd be groceries sitting there by our um, by our front door We one time had somebody come in. They knocked on the front door and they swore it wasn't them, but they were lying. I, you know, I saw through. They came in and filled up our pantry. It was at least 350 bucks worth of groceries, and Janie just wept. The principle God says is, if you'll give him your life, and see what he's after is your heart. He's not after your money, but your heart is represented by your money. Where you spend your money represents your heart. Seems like Jesus said that: where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where the money flows, that's where your feelings go. That's where your attachments go. And God says, if you'll begin to fund my kingdom, I will guarantee that I'll be involved in your financial future. And the reason some people work their rears off for this church is because they are heavily financed, uh, financially invested in this church. And it is ownership when they give to the church, and they want to make sure the doors are open and the and the. The doors were open. They want to make sure that, that we don't have to close down because we can't pay our bills. They want to expand our ministry because they really believe what we're doing matters for eternity. And I'm just going to bold. You know, I used to, whenever we first started, I, I was very reluctant to preach on money because I've been in traditional churches and people get ticked off. When you start preaching about money, you're meddling. Well, I just decided if if, if it says it in God's Word, we're going to talk about it. So we talk about sex, we talk about money, we talk about adultery, we talk about giving. If it's in God's Word, it's it's fair game. And we're going to try to be as open and honest as we can. And then, you know, we, we don't go about guilt. God's not about guilt. If God convicts you, that's between you and God. Don't blame me for, for reading what the Bible says. If I want to live abundantly, the Bible says I've got to give abundantly. God wants us to be financially free, but... Let's just be really, really honest for just the next couple of minutes. If your finances are in a mess, finances aren't even the real issue. The issue is your life is in a mess. Finances are just a symptom. The real issue is God is not the manager of your life. When God's the manager of your life, you're willing not only to give your heart to Him, but you give your pocketbook as well, your, your billfold, your checkbook, whatever you call it. The main issue is God is not number one in your life. And maybe today's the day that you need to get that straight. We baptized some folks last week. We baptized Leighton Kennedy. He was going back to, you know, he just finished basic training, got to come home for a little bit. I got to talk to him um, about how he gave his life to Christ. He said, you know, I had been through church, graduated from a Christian school, He said never took it seriously until... I got to basic training, and and I don't know exactly what it was that that caused him to think that maybe I should get serious about this. But he said, he said, I can tell you that right now, my relationship with God is the number one thing in my life. I was like, sweet. I said, we're gonna pray for you, dude. You you are you know even though you just came to be baptized, he was leaving the next. You left last Monday morning, early Monday morning. I said, you're a part of us now, and we're gonna pray for you. But he settled the number one issue, and that's who's the manager of his life. Do you think it's kind of dangerous to go to Iraq? That's where he's headed eventually. So he settled the most important thing. And we're going to pray that God brings him back. But even if God doesn't, we'll see him someday in heaven. Finances aren't the real issue. Who's boss in your life?